RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Discovery Starships Collection. Check out the first 12 all-new starships in the collection and discover how to get yours at eaglemoss.com slash discoverystarships. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 268, Star Trek Nemesis. To Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we dive deep into a Star Trek story, taking it apart from messages, morals, and meanings, and seeing whether it all holds up today. This week, it is not our last trip to the movies, but it is our last trip for a while. A ticket, please, for Star Trek Nemesis, the one where Picard finds himself. And doesn't really like what he sees. John's got trivia coming up in a bit, but first... But first, a word from Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection. Star Trek Discovery just finished its first season, and they have been discovered by Eagle Moss. Now, you know Eagle Moss or their fleet of tiny starships, and their armada of great big starships. And now, they want you, yes, you... You Mission Log listener, you, they want you to check out the great big Discovery ships in the Eagle Moss collection. Tons of ships headed your way, probably metric tons of ships. Seven Federation ships, including the Discovery, the Shenzo, and the Europa, and five Klingon ships, like the reimagined Bird of Prey and the Vechlach-class Klingon patrol ship. Oh, that was well done. Thank well you very done much. on the Klingon. Thank you very much. Yeah. I've been practicing my Klingon Duolingo. It'll do it every time. <laughs> Now, when you visit eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships, you'll see renderings that serve as the basis for the diecast models themselves, painstakingly reproduced, as always, under the supervision of Star Trek expert Ben Robinson. Now, remember that these ships are officially authorized by CBS Studios, and they range from about 8 to 10 inches from bow to stern. These are, these are bigger than your average teeny tiny starship. They are hand-painted. And they are so rich in detail, partly because of that larger size. And of course, each one comes with that awesome magazine full of insider information about the ships, both behind the scenes and in-universe, and that fabulous stand upon which you can stand your awesome starship. It's really cool. They can stand in the place where you are. Kind of a neat thing they do, <laughs> isn't it? So uh, subscribers are going to get their first ship, the Shenzo NCC-1227, for only $9.95 with free shipping. Additional models, including the USS Discovery NCC-1031, will then ship monthly for the special subscriber's price of $44.95 each. That is 20% off the standard retail price, and you still get that free shipping. Now, people who want to pick and choose their ships can do that. For that, you go to shop.eaglemoss.com, or you can check your local comic shop. You're going to pay about 10 bucks more when you buy piece by piece, but saving money isn't the only reason to subscribe. 
Subscribers get free gifts worth over $100 during their subscription. And, of course, you can cancel your subscription at any time. So, to subscribe, go to eaglemoss.com slash discoverystarships. To buy individually, go to shop.eaglemoss.com. And a huge thanks to Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show. John's got trivia coming up in a moment, but first, I'm going to tell you how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. I can't believe, I mean, it's only four movies, but it was years and years and years of our lives. And mm-hmm. and, and now this is it. We're, we're doing trivia for the last time uh, for the combined crew, for the gathered crew, for the all-together-now crew of the Enterprise. Well... The Enterprise in the next gen era. We may get to another Enterprise at some point, or or heck, two for that matter. Never know. Uh, it's so it's so it's so confusing. But it's not confusing. Right now, we're doing a trivia for for Nemesis, uh, Mister Champion. Won't you please take it away? So here we go. The story credit for Star Trek Nemesis goes to John Logan, Rick Berman, and Brent Spiner. Yeah, so Brent Spiner gets the story credit because he was involved from early on, and he insisted that Data be killed. Uh, he just personally felt like he was getting too old for the role, but uh, but but bear with me here. That That's not the be-all, end-all of it. And the screenplay was by John Logan, and prior to this, John Logan was mostly a playwright, and in the sci-fi genre, he had written the screenplay for The Time Machine, uh, the one with Guy Pearce. After this, well, he certainly did all right for himself. Uh, the Aviator, Hugo, Skyfall, Inspector, just to name a few of his later hits. This movie was directed by Stuart Baird. Uh, this was his third feature as a director. He was brought in by Rick Berman to give a fresh perspective to the Star Trek films, and that was met with mixed reactions. <laughs> Jonathan Frakes, Patrick Stewart, and Brent Spiner all had pretty good things to say about their working relationship. Maybe not so much when it came to the others in the cast. Uh, It might be worth pointing out that Stuart Baird knew little to nothing about Star Trek when taking this assignment, which, again, it's important to point out, should have no bearing on one's ability to make a good Star Trek movie. It seems one of the problems here, though, is his lack of desire to learn more about the Star Trek universe. So famously, he thought that Geordi was an alien, and he kept calling LeVar Laverne. That's just the start of it. Whoa, hold on a second. I understand mm-hmm. not knowing about the character, but come on. Yeah, yeah. Seriously? Well, seriously. Roots? Reading Rainbow? Nothing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I know. All right. Now, Jonathan Frakes did say that if he had been given the chance to direct, then he probably would have spent more time on the TNG cast and less on the villain. Uh, by the way, Nicholas Meyer had been approached to direct, but he wanted to rewrite the script, as he did way back when with Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, but that would have violated the agreement that they already had in place with John Logan, so too bad. 
Now, I do like to talk about the budgets for the feature films. Budget this time is around $60 million, so a, a, a healthy little increase from the last film. But it's worldwide gross, $67 million. Oy. Not exactly a runaway hit. Because hang yeah. on a second. When you say $60 million, you're just talking about production, right? You're not talking yeah. about... Yeah, not talking uh, about marketing. Marketing and promotion and wow. Yep. Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. So did not do well. And especially when you consider that the, the profit, the margin of the profit was not as high on insurrection compared to First Contact. So this is an even bigger fall off. Now, it's worth noting that this movie actually won its weekend um, when it came out. But the fall off was tremendous. Uh, it had something like a 76% drop-off going into its second weekend. So it uh, did not perform very well. I think its opening weekend total was less than $20 million. So not not doing too great. Um, this movie also didn't fare too well with critics. Um, on Rotten Tomatoes, it's holding steady at a 38% for critics and a 49% for audience reaction. Now, the only Star Trek film performing worse is Star Trek V. Um, but this is what's interesting to note. Um, even though this movie was marketed at the time as, quote, a generation's final journey, um, they were still talking about a sequel while they were on set. So remember I mentioned that about Brent Spiner wanting to kill off Data? Well, Patrick Stewart, Brent Spiner, and John Logan were all thinking in the direction of a fifth next-gen film as they were making this movie. So it wasn't completely out of the question that we would have seen some return of data in some way or another in another movie. Well, you see the return of data in B4, don't you? Mm -hmm. You kind of do. Yep. Yeah. So, no. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There were so many deleted scenes and in so many forms too first on the dvd then on the special edition dvd with more in the blu-ray um rick berman said at one time that there are about 50 minutes of additional material cut out i only hit on a few of them here um wesley has lines yeah wesley crusher actually has lines and we learn that he is serving in engineering on the titan which is fine with me because i always thought it was a little weird to run away with the traveler um it's weird but it's what happened it is yeah deal and move on i mean so i I'm, honestly <laughs> no i mean the fact that jordy was sitting out in the audience with Guinan and and wesley was up on the on the diaz with everybody else right or the mm-hmm. Diaz, or mm-hmm. however you say that word up on the platform with everybody else <laughs> i was thinking it should actually be wesley sitting with Guinan and they're talking over what it's like to be like you know pan-galactic beings and mm. and Jordy's up there still in uniform because the fact mm-hmm. that he's just sitting up there, you know, practically looking like Wesley Crusher from season three or four at that point. It just, it, it, I mean, yes, the Traveler didn't make a lot of sense, but it makes even less sense to have him just sitting up there in uniform, no explanation. And no explanation is <laughs> going to satisfy me either because you said, so do, come on. Yeah. Just like the Borg Queen. There isn't one. Move along. <laughs> I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. Uh, let's see. There's another scene with more invasion of Troy's mind, uh, this time in a turbo lift. Um, there's a scene with Jordy and Worf putting away Data's belongings and uh, Spot actually leaping up into Worf's arms. And they have a little dialogue about that. 
We have a moment of meeting the new first officer, Martin Madden, played by Stephen Culp. And finally, I, I think we've all probably seen this, the, the now famous deleted scene in which Picard gets a new captain's chair, the one with automatic seatbelts. So really, if they had made a sequel to this movie, it would have been Star Trek The Next Generation, seatbelts, the motion picture. And we have guest stars. So, you know who we don't have? We, we don't have Denise Crosby. And oddly enough, she had approached Rick Berman, etc., about is there a way to bring back Sela because we have a story that takes place on Romulus. And they said, no, no, there is not a way that we can bring back Sela. But as mentioned, we have Will and uh, we have Whoopi and we have Kate Mulgrew, who we haven't met yet in our rewatch. But Kate Mulgrew makes a cameo as Admiral Janeway. Now, by this time, Voyager was off the air and production had overlapped with the first season of Enterprise, which is why we do have a reference to Archer as a ship name. We have Ron Perlman as the Viceroy. Now, he's well known to science fiction and fantasy audiences, uh, just to name a few. Hellboy, uh, the Beauty and the Beast TV series that started in 1987, and then that all-time classic Ice Pirates. We have Dina Meyer as Commander Donatra. Now, she's somebody who I feel is really underappreciated. She was great in the short-lived Birds of Prey series as Barbara Gordon slash Batgirl. And of course, you may remember her from Starship Troopers. We get to say welcome back to Shannon Cochran. Here she plays Senator Talara, but we saw her in The Next Generation as Kalita in Preemptive Strike, and we will see her again as Kalita and in a different role on Deep Space Nine. Finally, Tom Hardy. Now, this was early in his career. Tom was 25 years old when he made this movie, and he had come off of Black Hawk Down. Of course, since then, he has absolutely maintained a strong acting career. Uh, just a, a few to name Inception, Mad Max Fury Road, Lair Cake, and certainly a very memorable performance as Bane in The Dark Knight Rises. December 2002. You might have caught Catch Me If You Can. You could have analyzed, analyzed that. But you were with your crew to the bitter end. You saw Star Trek Nemesis. Welcome to Romulus. Beautiful place, stately capital, and the Senate is in session hearing about the possibility of reuniting with the Remans in order to become even more powerful. Nah, that's a hard pass. Remans are uh, beneath them, so says the Praetor. Senator Cholara then leaves for another appointment, but not before detonating a device that kills everyone left in the room. Having a decidedly better day are the crew of the Enterprise E, who are gathered for Riker and Troy's wedding. About time, right? Everyone is having a ball, even Data regales him with an old standard. The ceremony on Earth will be followed up by a wedding on Beta Z, and they'll all fly out on the Enterprise, after which Riker will take command of the USS Titan, leaving Picard to break in his new first officer and counselor. On the way, a distant positronic signal is picked up, intriguing enough because only androids like Data have such a signature. 
It's only a small diversion. They'll go check it out, and it's the perfect excuse for Captain Picard to have his own action-adventure sequence in a dune buggy while he, Data, and Worf track down robot parts. Of course, they get shot at and narrowly escape, but back on board the Enterprise, the parts they find come together to form a near-duplicate of Data. Not as advanced, though. He says his name is B4 because he was built before Data. Get it? B4? (laughs) Well, while you're chuckling at that, Picard is getting a call from Starfleet. It's Admiral Janeway with quite the assignment. Seems the Romulan government is now being led by a Reman named Shinzon, who has specifically requested an audience with Picard. So, go there and do that, and watch your back. What do we know about the Remans? Not much, though. Live on the dark side of their planet, where they produce dilithium and weapons, and what about Shinzon himself? Even less, except that he's young, but experienced in battle. With some time before they arrive at Romulus, Data and Geordi experiment a little with B4. He's not as developed as Data, almost a blank slate. So in order to push him along, they decide to copy Data's memory engrams into B4, which should make him just as smart, just as capable, except it doesn't seem to be taking. B4 is still kind of a doofus, as far as androids go. Arriving at Romulus... We're greeted by an intimidating, powerful warship, the Scimitar. The Viceroy invites Picard and crew to stop by to say hello, and there they meet Shinzon. He's human. Not just any human, he's a clone of Picard. What? Huh? How? Why? We'll stick around. Checking in on B4, he seems to be okay just sitting there alone, holding spot, until something in his demeanor changes. He's very focused now and rifling through Enterprise computer files extremely fast. Shenzhen briefly meets with what remains of the Romulan power structure. They're anxious to shore up their power and attack the Federation, but why would he bring the Enterprise here? And why make them wait? Shenzhen says chill. He's got a plan. At dinner that night, Shenzhen explains everything to Picard. He was created as a clone at a time when the Romulans thought they could insert a spy into the Federation, but that plan was abandoned, and he was sent to Remus, which essentially is a planet full of slaves for the Romulans. Years of abuse hardened him. Summers in Rangoon, luge lessons. In the spring, they'd make meat helmets. When he was insolent, he was placed in a burlap bag and beaten with reeds. He assembled a band of followers, built his own vessel, and overthrew his captors. Now there are enough, he says, who understand that the path forward is one of peace. Picard wants to believe him. He really does. That's the mission of Starfleet. But he's just not sure yet. Back aboard the Enterprise, Picard gets some interesting news, followed by some bad news. There was unauthorized computer access... And also, Geordi detected a wildly dangerous Thaleron radiation source coming from the scimitar. How deadly? Like, wipe out everyone on the Enterprise in seconds deadly. Wow. Well, maybe all Shinzon wants is peace. A little piece of Vulcan, a little piece of Earth, a little piece of Risa and Doria for dessert. Very disappointing. Seems like Shinzon is just toying with Picard, and he doesn't stop there. Later that night, Shenzhen, through his viceroy, psychically imposes, no, 
violates Dana Troy while she is in bed with Riker. It's disturbing, and while everyone is focused on that, the scimitar beams over B4 to start downloading the data he read from the Enterprise computers. A moment later, and Picard is beamed over, this time so Shinzon can take his blood. Good thing B4 isn't B4. At least this B4 on the scimitar is actually data pretending to be B4. And he dumps a whole lot of useless data into their computers before rescuing Picard. He's got another trick up his sleeve, literally up his sleeve embedded in his arm is an emergency transporter device, which can get Picard safely back to the Enterprise. Picard isn't leaving, though, without data. They break out through a series of shooting, then shuttle stealing, then window crashing until the Enterprise can beam them both away and set a course for anywhere but here. Shenzhen isn't gaining any favors with the Romulans, but he assures them he's ready to step up his attack. On Romulus, a reality check, Dinatra, one of the Romulan commanders, tells her colleague Suran that Shenzhen isn't just trying to defeat the Federation. He's trying to wipe them out entirely. Are they okay with letting that happen? Data makes a decision to deactivate B4 after activating him to tell him he will be deactivated indefinitely. He's been programmed to spy on them, and he's just too much of a risk. Dr. Crusher now breaks some news to Picard. Shinzon will die without a complete transfusion from a compatible DNA type. That would be Picard. And that means Shinzon is coming for Picard before he heads to Earth to use his Thaleron weapon. In that case, they'll lead Shinzon on a bit of a chase before getting to Earth to meet with part of the Federation fleet, but first they'll have to pass through the Basin Rift. Under no circumstances can Shinzon be allowed to reach Earth and deploy his Thaleron weapon. In the Rift, the attack comes swiftly. Shinzon is beating the tar out of the Enterprise, you know it's brutal when glass is breaking and rocks are falling from the ceiling. Shinzon appears privately to Picard in a hologram, where Picard tells him he doesn't need to do this. He can, in fact, do the right thing to exceed who he thinks he is. Uh, no. Just when it looks like a loss for the Enterprise, a couple of Romulan warbirds decloak, and there's Commander Donatra offering to help. This is, after all, an internal Romulan matter. It's a good diversion, but even they are no match for the scimitar. What does give them a tactical advantage, though, is Deanna. After her horrific psychic invasion by the Viceroy, she now knows how to enter his mind, which she does, and that gives up the position of the cloaked ship. Several powerful photon torpedo shots later, and Shinzon's only remaining move is to send a boarding party to the Enterprise, while they're occupying Riker and Worf in a security team, the scimitar pulls around to land a blow right on the Enterprise bridge. Picard's ship is crippled, nearly out of all weapons. The only thing left to do is ram the scimitar, which they do, and it pretty much takes everybody by surprise. Oh, and in the melee, Riker kills the Viceroy. Separating the two crashed ships, Picard and Shinzon are almost out of next steps. Picard attempts to self-destruct on the Enterprise, but those systems are offline. Shenzon, looking worse and worse the farther away he is from a fresh shot of DNA, commands that the Thaleron weapon be deployed. Jordi acknowledges that will kill everyone on the Enterprise as soon as the weapon goes active, about seven minutes. Picard commands that they beam him alone to the scimitar, which Jordi reluctantly does. That last transport blows out the system, leaving Picard stranded 
and no one else able to help him, except Data. Being an android, he allows himself to be blown out into space through a hull breach and sneaks aboard the scimitar himself. With Picard on the bridge of the scimitar, he takes out the Reman crew members before making his way to the Thaleron intermix chamber and is ready to take aim. Oh, no phaser. Never mind. Now Shinzon is all up in Picard's business anyway, and it's a brutal fight until Picard impales his clone on a piece of decorative wall art. Now turning back to the deadly weapon at hand and no options to destroy it, who should arrive but Data? He sees the captain there in a shocked state and places Geordi's emergency transport device on him. Away Picard goes before he can protest, and Data aims his phaser at the Thaleron weapon. It blows up real good. But then so does Data, which leaves Picard and crew on board the Enterprise to witness the loss of their friend. Commander Donatra signals that the Romulans will be sending shuttles with emergency help. Maybe in all of this, there is a glimmer of hope that Romulan-Federation relations are cooling. The Enterprise crew toasts their missing colleagues, sharing stories and tears. Before long, they're back in dry dock around Earth, and Riker is preparing to depart on the Titan back to the neutral zone to explore peace with the Romulans. As the Enterprise continues to be repaired... Picard tries to explain what Data and his sacrifice meant to all of them to be for. The android doesn't seem to get it at all. But as Picard is about to leave the room, he hears B4 singing the song Data performed at Riker and Troy's wedding. So with a smile on his face, Picard leaves to tour his ship. The end. What's Worf's problem with Irving Berlin? Can I tell you that was my first note? <laughs> was it really? It like, yeah, it was. Because your first note should have been space symbols. No, uh, yes. I do love the space symbols. And there's there's still smooth jazz in the 24th century. Um, but yeah, come on, Worf. Irving Berlin. So here's oh. a weird thing to me. Uh, so that, was, uh, that song is called Blue Skies, right? Mm-hmm. I did not know uh, that the writer of this was also the writer of The Aviator. Mm. That song plays big in The Aviator. Howard Hughes has just made Hell's Angels. It's taken him like three or four years to make because he doesn't Mm. know how to make movies. So he's just making a movie the best way he knows how. So like Mm. 20 something cameras and airplanes and people die in plane crashes and it's ridiculous. And he's all excited and it's it's about to premiere and then talkies come out. (laughs) <laughs> and 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 so he goes ahead and reshoots for like another year, but you know, adding sound to the whole thing. But mm-hmm. the scene in the movie, he takes his uh, right hand man Noah Dietrich. I've seen the movie a time or two. I don't know if you can tell. <laughs> takes him across the street, and uh, and there's an Al Jolson movie playing, and and he starts singing Blue Skies right oh, in the middle nice, of it and playing nice. it. That's the that's the thing. So I don't know if that's it could just be a coincidence, or it could be that the writer has a has a thing for that. We'll have to call him and ask him. Well, another little crossover, you have Brent Spiner in The Aviator. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. He, he was the guy with the thing on his lapel. <laughs> right, he <laughs> was. Yeah. 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 Hey, speaking of music, I meant to mention the score last week. So so now this week, I'll mention that from last week Talk and about from last week. week's score. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, last week's score and this week's score. Um, I, I like them both. Uh, I, I think I like the soundtrack, the, the score for Insurrection a little better than the soundtrack for Nemesis. But I never really liked the recording of the theme music used in the TV show mm-hmm. for Next Generation. But in the movies, they sound so good. And with Jerry Goldsmith back, 
he creates that sound that they had for the motion picture. And I love how they bookend it with the Enterprise in space dock and use a little piece of that music from the, the fly around that Kirk and Scotty did way, way back at the beginning. It was just a much richer sound. And uh, I, I can always really tell that difference between it and the TV show version of the, the next gen theme, AKA the motion picture theme, whenever we hear that. Hmm. Um, the other thing that I like that uh, we get sort of bigger and better in in a movie than we did in the TV show, I really like the additional detail and texture given to the Romulans. You know, it, it's cool to start off on Romulus, and it, and it's cool to um, it, it's cool to see Romulans who are having at least some argument about their political future. Um, what, what was the episode, Ken? We did where the there's a Romulan and he's defecting. Um, <sighs> Oh, yeah. booby trap. He's, yeah, it's, you're so close. I'm gonna. He, he's he's a defector. Yeah, he might even he might even be the defector. It's the one. Well, I know it's the one with the defector. Yes, it is indeed the defector. Um, but I, I I like that we've had the luxury of seeing a lot of Romulans over the years, mm-hmm. and very often I always made that joke that they would show up and just sort of twirl the mustache a little bit and say, "Well, we'll be back." And then they just show up again. Well, we'll be back again. But, but now we're actually giving them some depth and some texture. And also, the shoulder pads are a lot less aggressive. Well, that's here. true. That's yeah, true. I like these Romulan uniforms a lot better. I, you see, the thing is, though, I don't. I, I feel like less is more. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I mean, so the whole Senate for the whole planet is just there in that one room, and there's no security. Because, mm-hmm. you know, she left that thing right there to explode. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that's weirder to me, though, is uh, the Remans, honestly. Have we seen them before? No. Okay. No. All right. Um, first of all, it is good to know where Nosferatu came from. <laughs> yes. Yes. So they're super strong warriors. They have psychic abilities. How are they a slave class? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, so then if they are a slave class... How did they have doctors? Because there yeah, are doctors right. who are going to do the thing uh, for uh, for Shenzon, right? Yeah. But they're not they're not Romulan doctors, and they're not doctors from something else. They're Riemann doctors, the Riemanns who have been under the whip of the Romulans for however long. Nobody even knows, but they have such psychic powers that they can reach across you know uh, small amounts of space anyway, mm-hmm. and 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 do what they do to Troy, which we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, certainly they must have enough psychic ability to like, you know, make a guard, like turn a gun on himself or something. Mm, that would be, yeah. Yeah. It's cool, right. That we get a little bit more about the Romulans. I'm just not sure that I get what we get about the Romulans because there's lots of stuff about their society here that strikes me as kind of odd. Also, I don't want to tell the Remans, you know, how to live their lives, but if you're going to be working with buttons, like on the bridge of a starship, say, uh, trim the nails. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little. I think it's going to make things easier for you. I really do. This is not about how ooped out I am, because I'm not saying I am. I'm just saying he was like he was like having to really be careful pushing those buttons. Trim the nails. I I love that close up (laughs) because you can tell that he's having trouble with it. Right. You think, see, if you just switched over to a touchscreen. You wouldn't have that problem. Uh, voice control wouldn't have I, that problem. I remember a lot of friends of mine telling me that their wives had tremendous difficulty with the first iPhones because they like to keep long nails and mm-hmm. just working with a touchscreen was a bit difficult for them. Mm-hmm. So okay. I'm, I'm not sure you're right about that. I'm thinking right, just... what the Riemann should do 
see a manicurist. <laughs> Maybe. Well, they got doctors. Maybe they, they haven't yet gotten to Rima manicurist yet. So, <laughs> hey, yeah. who's the barber here? <laughs> hey, the other thing that we get in a movie the, to make it super dramatic is that in a movie, you can't just take a blood sample in a nice, simple way like, like I did in high school with a pipette. And they just they take that little, little needle. And it's like the, the spring-loaded thing, the way you would take a blood sample, uh, say, you know, if you need to do a blood sugar test, it's quick, it's painless, boom, you have a blood sample, right? No, in a movie, you have to take out a knife and just slice open your hand. And that must have been a good, like, a three, four-inch gash that he made and then hand state of the knife. Like, I get it. I do not debate that it is super dramatic at all. Yeah, it is. But then when they leave, he, you know, Shinsan's already a little testy, and he's got to be like, can somebody please go get a Riemann doctor to fix this because I just cut my hand open and it really hurts. I am human after all, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um. By the way, for those playing the home game, there are just so many mentions from other Star Trek in this movie. Uh, mentions from every live-action Star Trek series in this movie. Um, a little nod to the previous TNG movies, where Janeway name-checks those antagonists. Yeah. which was, And in fact, in the original script, she would have actually mentioned Dr. Soren. But I, I'm kind of grateful that got cut out. Because it, it would have just been like going down the list. Like, did you see this movie? Did you see this movie? Did you see this movie? You know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, uh, Shinzon has a great line. So I was watching this movie. I watched it a few times. And I was watching with a friend of mine. And he wasn't really paying attention. He's not a big Star Trek fan. But I was there taking notes. And, and he was doing something. And then Shinzon, uh, after Picard asks why he was brought there before Shinzon takes a blood sample and Shinzon just says I was lonely <laughs> and we just thought that is the perfect excuse for everything from now on in the words of Shinzon I'll just let your imagination run wild with that some wise words here in this movie that, uh, that we may discuss again a little bit later um, if there is one idea the Federation holds most dear it is that all men all races can be united what better example than a Starfleet captain standing in the Romulan Senate? Those are the words of Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Yeah, no, it's a good, it's a good thing, and it certainly that is something that the Federation does hold dear. Y mm. You know, you know what else they hold dear? Oh, what's that? Off-roading. Oh, yeah, boy. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. I don't know. The Argo is cool. Don't get me wrong, but it seems very un-Starfleet. Mm. And also, aren't you supposed to hide? your appearance from pre-warp societies if you land, <laughs> you know, because I'm thinking even just the tracks, even just the tracks of their, I mean, the, you know, a good tracker from whatever planet that was could be like, these are like no tires that have ever been made on this planet. <laughs> Very true. How did Very this happen? True. Or maybe they can go to space. They just can't go to space fast. Maybe, maybe yeah, they're spacefaring, yeah. but not, not, <laughs> not, not warp, not, not warpy. Right. Yeah. 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 Funny, in uh, in the last movie, there would have been uh, a chase scene on, like, anti-grav bikes. And then somebody pointed out, yeah, this is entirely too much like Star Wars. Yeah. So I guess they just went the opposite direction for this. They're like, no, no, just give them a dune buggy. It'll be it'll be fun. It's ridiculous. It, it is. But, but that is part of the Stuart Baird thing here is that he was brought in to pump up the action. So he was just like, you know what we need? We need a dune buggy. We need a dune and, buggy. Yeah, that's mm -hmm, exactly mm -hmm. what they need. Yeah. What I also like is the uh, the very Matrix-style graphics 
that uh, that we see on computers. So that that's what when B four is loading up computer uh, data from the enterprise computer does. It's not Elcar. Suddenly he's in the Matrix, and then when they download it on the Romulan ship, it's it's the Matrix. Hey, uh, too bad about Jordy's eyes. I know we talked about it last week. Like, how long do the effects of um, of the of the planet where the Baku were? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they don't last to the next movie. Sadly, no. No, and I know his electronic eyes are probably more useful in many ways, but mm-hmm. he was very excited about you know seeing a sunset the way everybody else sees the sunset. And it's just um, yeah, it's just kind of too bad that I'm also a little confused about how that works. But that that might be another topic for another time because because his his eyes got better. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then it, they it, got worse too- again apparently when he <laughs> left. Right. Like, did he poke them out or something? Was he like, yeah, you know, I used to be able to see all kinds of spectrum. Now I can just see the one. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I think I've changed my mind. Yeah, it's, sunsets it's are too- great. Don't get me wrong. I love a sunset. <laughs> <laughs> just after a while. <laughs> it's a shame that he loses that ability. Uh, apparently, Picard, maybe has lost the ability to Mambo because we didn't see it in this movie. But at least Riker and Troy didn't lose their ability to be in love. Yeah. Riker and Troy get their groove back part two. They do. Yeah. Um, oh, man. Attack pattern Shinzon Theta. See, here's the thing. I thought I thought you had to be around for a really long time before they started naming battle strategy after you. Like, Riker says, you know, Kirk, what was it? Kirk Epsilon, you know. But I guess if you're really in command, you can just do your own. Yes. Attack pattern shins on Theta. I was like, mm-hmm. I did actually wonder if the Remans were like, okay, that used to be called, what, it used to be Attack Pattern Sela 5. So <laughs> let's just do that. I'm going to do this, though. I'm going to do this. I'm yeah. like, like, yeah, like driving around with people. I'm going to be like, I call this the Ken Maneuver. And then they'll be like, it's, well, that's a left turn. I'll be like, the Ken Maneuver. <laughs> I like it. what that is. Yeah. And I, like I turn it. right, and that'll be, uh, I don't know. You, you want one? That'll be the John maneuver. I turn right, that's the John maneuver. Turn <laughs> that's left, the that's maneuver. the Ken maneuver. Or maybe yeah. when I turn right, it'll be the Ken maneuver beta. Yeah, Ken beta. I like that. Mm-hmm. Hey, I have a, a spacey physics inertia question for you. When you, <laughs> when you back the scimitar, okay, just say say that you're in the scimitar for a moment, Ken. Just pretend yeah. like you're there, okay? And say that you're there and a great big powerful starship like the enterprise e crashes right into you yep okay and then you're like what's my natural reaction i'm going to back up i'm going to put it in reverse okay what is actually holding on to the enterprise then to allow you to back away from it <laughs> that's okay. hilarious that's absolutely fantastic right because yeah. it, it, it keeps backing away trying to shake this thing off nope nope this is this is gonna be stuck until they put some force going the other way sorry also i hope the people in whatever is 10 forward now i hope that they were warned yeah you do kind of hope that because even if they were looking out the window they've been drinking Mm-hmm. Right. They may not yeah. realize what's actually happening is what's actually happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. I actually wondered. So, like, because because when the Enterprise is coming towards them, Shinzon's mm-hmm. like hard to port. <laughs> and I was yeah. wondering, like, if Shinzon had just said full reverse, that's that's like the rest yeah. of the movie, right? Right. They just keep <laughs> just keep going. Like they're they're almost caught up with us. Well, no, just keep going. No, they're still almost right. caught up. Well, yeah. Should we warp in reverse? Are you mad? No, no, no. Just keep. They'll get tired at some point. 
It'll be like The Last Jedi. It'll be a, a 90 minute long chase in space. Don't. Don't. <laughs> don't. <laughs> I went there. I went there. Don't yeah, even. I did. Do not. I, I, Hey, look, here's another spacey, physics-y, sci-fi technology question for you, then. Mm. So, so ships can break through shields. Like, see Picard and Data's escape from the scimitar on that little shuttle. Mm -hmm. uh, see also the Enterprise-E crashing into the scimitar. But weapons don't because the shields are deflecting like a photon torpedo or a phaser. Yeah, well, this actually makes sense to me because of, uh, because of Dune. Which which we have okay. not referenced on this show in a very long time. Yeah, but, it's, it's about time. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if you remember. Uh, it was really well illustrated in the movie, but then they also talk about it in the books, where uh, basically there's like a force shield around somebody, and if you go at it fast, it's going to repel you, but uh, I think it's the the slow blade makes the kill or something like that. Mm. Basically, if you so what they do in, in the book and in the movie is they're basically distracting with this hand while slowly they're inserting the knife with the other. But it's mm. the same kind of thing, I would think. Also, I wasn't really under the impression that the shields were up when Picard and Data left. I assumed it's sort of like a, uh, like a Klingon ship. You can be cloaked or you can be shielded, but you can't be both. So mm -hmm. they left... When it was um, when it was cloaked, not when it was shielded. I thought. Well, even then, I, I assume they have that uh, integrity field around it. You know, kind of like how if you're if you're the captain of a starship and you want to show off a visitor how you're floating above Earth, you know, hundreds of miles away, and you go, "Look, I'm going to open a window." Psych, no window. There's an integrity field around us at all times, so that you know, so we can put windows in our starship uh, whatever it's a lot of but i i, I like that description though that the, the force of that thing so what you want to do is build slow moving weapons if your shield essentially acts like a non-newtonian uh solid where where if you approach it quickly it solidifies but slowly it just allows you to go right through it this would also help us understand how rolaren was able to sneak in between the warp nacelles and um Whatever that episode mm. was called, that was that oh, was years nice. ago. Now that was years ago. I can't even remember. ages ago. Yeah, yeah. preemptive strike. Nice preemptive yeah. strike. Very good. Very good. Yeah. The defector. It was called the defector. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Nicely done. Thank you. Hey, um, I, I am going to make a guess that the Thaleron weapon has a very short half life because it seems like if you deploy it in a way that would destroy another ship's crew or, or maybe a whole planet. Right. If you're if you're down with that, yet one particle could be dangerous to you because I mean Beverly's like yeah no th this is crazy dangerous yeah you stand a very good possibility of killing yourself every time you use it. You'd think so, wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's also weird that that's on the bridge. Yeah, see. Yeah. And also, he is so not a good Picard. I'm sorry. I know he's young. I know he's just mm -hmm. a kid Picard. He hasn't grown up yet. But Picard walks in, and young Picard immediately looks to the thing that he doesn't want Picard to see. Uh, <laughs> aged, uh, wise Picard would never pull such a such a rookie maneuver or such a rookie mistake. No. Uh, the uh, thing about the Thaleron radiation that was weird to me, uh, Crusher says, a microscopic amount of Thaleron radiation could kill everything on the ship in a matter of moments. Mm -hmm. And Picard says, I understand. Keep on it. And I want Crusher to be like, uh, that's really it. That's, it's, <laughs> it, it can kill you really fast. I, keep on what? I'm, maybe I missed something. Shins on. Shins off. Shins on. Shins off. Now, show me. Paint the warbird. 
Okay, there are one or two things to discuss about this movie, but I feel like before we do anything, mm-hmm. we have to put the brakes on because there, there's a moment here that needs to be pointed out. You can't violate Deanna again and then ask her to stick around if she can, quote-unquote, endure more. See, I'm curious why you think you can't do that, because you've watched Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah, but you know what? Uh, Next Gen took a lot of years to make, and uh, and a script has more than one person looking at it before it gets made. Yeah, this has happened, and this has happened repeatedly to Troy, though. I mean, it's it's... It's a sick, dark joke. Yeah, I know. It, it has, but I, look, th- this one felt even more uncomfortable, uh, partly because it was more uncomfortable than partly because it has been repeated over and over again. Yeah, uh, Picard is terrible in this movie um, about personal space, personal liberty, personal, uh, personal well-being. And there's a dumb one ordering Worf to get naked for Riker and Troy's Betazoid wedding. Yeah. Is completely yeah. uncool. That is completely uncool. Oh, not nearly as uncool as, you know, Deanna just got raped because she did. And I know it's mm-hmm. not physical, except it is. It's mm-hmm. not, but it is. And we have to call it that. I mean, because, like, watching that, and I don't know, I know I just said last week I remember nothing about this movie. I I was so incredibly uncomfortable during that scene every time we watched it. Like when the scene was over, I would realize that my heart was racing. Yeah. I mean it's 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 a it's a well done scene that never ever ever should have been made. So Deanna just got raped. Uh but if she can take more of it, you know, well, uh. you know, she'll have to risk that because this is about this is honestly about Picard's needs at this point. And that really is just about Picard's needs at that point. Why don't we just take Rand back to talk to the captain about why he raped her or tried to? Because mm-hmm. I guess that mm-hmm. was what happened then. They tried to. And, yeah. and you know, you can – well, I don't think you can. We decided that during uh, uh, The Enemy Within, you couldn't actually forgive them for <laughs> just like trotting her back in with the person that she believes um, had assaulted her. Uh, but a lot of people say, well, that was the 60s. Okay, that was the 60s. This was the early 2000s. Yeah. Right? Uh, the victimization of Troy in this movie is just, I mean, down to her inability as written to defend herself. Because that's the other thing. It's not just something terrible happens to her and her captain says, suck it up. It's also the fact that she's written poorly. Um, like, you know, Shinzon says, may I touch your hair? And she sort of like cowers and Riker's moving in. It would have been mm-hmm. a fantastic thing if like Shinzon had said, may I touch your hair? And she had said, if you want to lose your hand. Oh, I would have loved that. Because, yes. I mean, she's not a weak character. But in these episodes where we need her to be weak, they put her like through some of the absolutely worst stuff imaginable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here's what I will say. And, and you know, it's been however many years, and I've had a lot of time to rewrite it, so why not? <laughs> uh, if you're going to make Troy's rape a plot point, and, and please, let's revisit the part where you shouldn't. Yeah. But if you're going to make Troy's rape a plot point, I'd have at least liked to have her come back and own it on her own terms, right? So mm-hmm. she says, relieve me of duty. Picard says what Picard should have said, which is, of course. Yes. Maybe she can't get the experience out of her head, and that's how she realizes that she can get into the Viceroy's head. I mean, if, if, if you have to make that happen so that she can come back and, and, and save the day, give mm-hmm. her 10 minutes. Let her go mm-hmm. cry. Let's have – I mean, 
it's been character development, character development for so long now. Can can we deal with what happened to this character? Because we don't. Yeah, I, I would have been fine with that. And, and that's kind of what I'm saying, that it, it, it seems like any number of people looking at the script mm-hmm. could look at that and say, hey, there are 10 ways to write this that are not as horrific as what we're doing right here. Tell me when they've cared about what they were doing to Troy, though. Tell me which episode was the episode where they said, you know, we've really we've really put her through too much at this point. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm no. not kidding. I no, mean, she no, is, I, she is yeah. like, sometimes she's a very strong character and sometimes she is, well, not cannon fodder, but cannon fodder. Yeah. Yeah. But it, this is also 15 years later. Right. And with, with a big gap in between movies and with a lot of time to hammer out the script. And uh, that's what I'm saying. It would be nice to have somebody say, we don't have to treat Deanna this way. Yeah, that would have been fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I would loved that, it. That would have yeah. been great. But I yeah. mean, you know, uh, Brent Spiner was on almost every episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and Rick Berman wrote a lot of it. I mean, so, I well, mean, uh, victimizing it, Troy yeah. is what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And it shouldn't. But I think we made that clear. Good. <laughs> so uh, let me ask you about B4. Okay. Um it, 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 anything unethical or, or sit with you wrong about what uh, Data and Jordy are doing by dumping Data's engrams into him? Well, he seems kind of like not a he in a way. I mean, I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. Data Data was able to defend himself in measure of a man, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and Picard defended him, obviously, as well. I mean, Data Data's sort of proven that he, you know, he thinks, therefore, he is. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's not 100% clear that B4 does think. I don't know. This is a weird thing, right? Because, I mean, B4 is a machine. You wouldn't say, does the toaster have rights? Right. And B4 doesn't seem to be showing. Well, I'm guessing you think that there is something unethical about it. Well, it's what you just said, that it's not 100% clear. And other than lore being the the one that is now destroyed, Mm -hmm. this is the only other being like Data that we know of. Mm -hmm. And he's been deactivated for some amount of time. We don't know what makes him. We don't know exactly what his programming is. We only have conjecture from data about, well, he's he's not quite here. He doesn't have exactly what I have. Right. But it's a pretty quick decision then to overwrite what he's got with what data has. So then to me, it's this sort of existential question that they got into a little bit. You know, Jordy says, hey, do you think it's weird that you're dumping your memories, your experiences all into this other shell? And Data's like, yeah, no, not really. So <laughs> I, I don't feel anything See, about it. That's interesting because I didn't, I didn't assume that they were trying to overwrite B4 with Data's experiences. I thought they were basically trying to grow them up quickly, kind of like what they had planned to do with Shinzon, actually. I, mm-hmm. did, I didn't mm-hmm. think that they were like they were going to make another Data. I thought they were just giving him data's um knowledge and level of experience uh to sort of uh, maybe find his own way no i i think you're right but it seems to me that because there is so little of b4 in b4 that you're talking about a bucket full of data being dumped into b4 
Yeah. Which at, at that point, you're essentially making another data really, with a different you're, name. You're going to say a bucket full, not a fistful. You're dumping a fistful of data in there. No, I, I went for bucket. Yeah, I didn't want to reference. I didn't want to reference fistful of data. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I just I thought they were on some interesting and and weird ground there. Um, I mentioned before uh, talking about the Romulans, how we got a little more out of the Romulans here than than we had. Um, and I was thinking, you know, if the Romulans in Particularly, they're introduced in the original series. You have Romulans, you have Klingons, and they sort of represent various factions who contemporarily in the 60s represented adversaries of the U.S. So if the Romulans represented any one of America's adversaries during the Cold War, we actually open, I, I think, with some reassurance that the quote-unquote enemy isn't necessarily crazy enough to attack us. Mm. until a madman steps in and wipes out that more reasonable government. Um, when Donatra says he's not planning to defeat Earth, he's planning its annihilation. And I love the follow-up there. His sins will mark us and our children for generations. So even the Romulans know that genocide is bad. They, they know that this is not a good tactic. They, they're all about conquering. They're all about expanding their empire. But even they have a line. Right, And they say, yeah, we're not comfortable just with wholesale murder of an entire species, which that was all right. <laughs> no, it's good well, that, to know. that is a good thing to hear. Yes. Yeah. So I got a question. Yep. Has data just given up on emotions now? You know, I really wonder that because they're not very clear no. about where we are on the data emotion scale. The last we heard about data's emotion chip was an insurrection. That was not the thing that had driven him crazy on the Baku planet because he had left his emotion chip on the Enterprise when he went to work mm -hmm. in the duck blind. Mm -hmm. And now in this one, I mean, he's got these sort of like, he's he seems sad to turn off B4 um, mm -hmm. He and Jordy sort of seem to give each other a reassuring look as he goes from one part of the ship to the other, or from one ship to the other, excuse me, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. blasting through space. Really lucky he hit, by the way. Yeah, that was good. That could have been that bad. Good. That could have been just, yeah. like, just like, oh, yeah. I thought, I really, well, this didn't go well for anybody. Um, and he gives Picard, he gives Picard a look. Too. He does, yes. So, I mean, you know? I mean, and, and in fairness, I hope it's Brent Spiner. Honestly, I hope he was like, yeah, can we just tone it down a bit? Because it was more evocative. But I guess I guess what's weird is I'm so used to them talking about his emotion chip. Yeah, that uh, that to not mention his emotion chip. I'm like, so is he is he does he have his emotion chip? Are we just done with that now? Is that just not a thing we're going to explore anymore? Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I, I wish I knew. Did he leave <laughs> one for B4? Ooh. Because that's the other thing. If he's like starting to get all these emotions and those are like part of his memories, but B4 doesn't have an emotion chip, how's, how's that going to work? Mm -hmm. When's the yeah, sequel right? come out, John? When's the sequel come out? <laughs> well, well, they talked about it in 2002. Yeah. Okay. okay. I'm just, you know, they, they've had, as of our recording, 16 years to, to hammer that out. So I feel really any yeah. day now. Oh, man, it's going to be good then because they've had 16 years to work on it. Yeah. That's going to yeah. be. Yeah, fantastic. Um, I found it interesting that Shinzon thought the similarities between himself and Picard would be enough. Uh, but would be enough, like you know, for Picard's trust. I'm and and 
there's a thing that we've been talking about lately as we record this, not you and I, but people in general have been talking about identity politics. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of interesting that Shinzon's like, you know, obviously evil. Mm-hmm. He's not going to spend much time not being evil, but he thinks the fact that they have the same eyes is really going to do it. Yeah. That's going to be the thing that's going to do it for Picard. And yet it's really interesting. There's, I mean, that two sides of the same coin thing that you get all the way through this movie that I'm sure we're going to hit a little bit more in a bit. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting that uh, that Shinzon is just certain that Picard seeing the younger Picard is going to do it for him. But old Picard is is crazy if he thinks that Shinzon's going to look into his eyes, you know, and see anything that he could be there. So if you were confronted with a clone of yourself, you said, like, hey, Ken, I'm, I'm Ken Beta. I'm, I'm a clone of you. Let, let's go do <laughs> no, this no, thing. No, no. Because... Ken Beta is a right turn. We've, we've covered this. <laughs> so it's got to be a different name. But go ahead. So we're going to go do this thing. We're going to go do this thing because I'm just like you. And, uh, and you can trust me because I'm just like you. So do you, do you start out with a higher level of trust or you start out with a lower level of trust? Like this is a pod person and needs to be killed with a shovel. Uh, I would have to hear the plan. Okay. <laughs> All right. Honestly. Well, well, if you're like Shinzon, Shinzon's like, peace, man. Peace is my plan. Yeah, you're, but he's obviously know. lying. He, I mean, it's it's obvious he's lying within minutes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let, let's talk about the, uh, the, the two sides of the coin here. The, it's the two sides of the coin, but also the, the nature versus nurture that's going on here. Um, Picard makes a nice plea to Shinzon. I love this line. Buried deep within you, there is something that has never been nurtured, the potential to make yourself a better man. And that's what it is to be human, to make yourself more than you are. Well, this is about as Star Trek a message as can be, is one of those reaching through the screen and grabbing the audience by the collar and saying, this is how Star Trek values humanity. This is what Star Trek thinks about humanity. And Picard asks, I I forget, I think he, he... I think he asked Crusher, says something like, well, well, if I had been brought up that way. But again, it's not him. He's, you can say, yeah, if I had been brought up that way, but at that point, you are no longer you. And they sort of keep playing with it. They play with that with B4 a little bit. They play with that with Data a little bit. They actually make a better case of it saying that regardless, he's still not you because he has a different set of uh a different set of memories, a different set of experiences. So I thought it was interesting that they delved into that a little, but they're pretty much making the case throughout this thing that no matter how similar they are, no matter what, simply by virtue of the experiences they have, they're not going to be the same at all. And what I thought was cool about the experiences, well, not cool, but but interesting about the experiences I, I thought of Shinzon as uh, as a parallel for Captain Nemo. Um, I assume you've read 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, or at the very least seen one of the, the many movie iterations. Um, Captain Nemo and Shinzon share a similar background. Tortured, driven by liberating slaves. Nemo built his own ship, uses that to attack the war machine. To, to gain power for himself. Now, Shinzon is a little more geared toward just taking power for himself. Nemo at least had a little bit of an end game. But um, I, I thought that from a, from a literary point of view, they were in the same boat. No pun intended. Thank you very much.
with Captain Wyker, off to a new ship, and Ada, stuff on the windshield of the Enterprise. It is time to see what we can take from Star Trek Nemesis. Well, I'm going to miss Captain Picard. Yeah. I'll be honest. I mean, since you and I started this show, uh, Jinkies, um, five or six years ago now, since we started Mission Log, mm-hmm. I was very open about the fact that TNG was my Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And and now we're saying goodbye to my crew, mm-hmm. which uh, I'm looking forward to, you know, I'm looking forward to getting to know other crews more and, you know, continuing to to sort of suss out the, the messages, morals, meanings, all the ideas and ideals that they may be throwing at the screen, thus at us. Yep. Um, and, but we've come to the part where, where for the very last crew of the uh, 1701D slash E, uh, we ask uh, whether uh, a particular story, a particular episode, if you will, holds up. And so uh, <laughs> <laughs> it falls to me mm-hmm. to ask John um, – Star Trek Nemesis, does this movie hold up as far as you're concerned? Well, before I get to that, you just said something about this being the end of the the, the TNG story, the end of our journey with that crew. But but here's the thing to sort of put in perspective. You know, we we did TOS, we did the animated series, we did the original cast movies, because we want to look at the Star Trek story as a crew, what is their journey together? Right. Right. But TNG has sort of had the longest shelf life in the respect that the TV show started in 1987. But here we are at a movie that came out in 2002. So a a lot more content produced around that show than any other show in, in the Star Trek universe so far. Right. But during that time, you had Deep Space Nine come and go. You had Voyager come and go, and you had Enterprise already on the air. So uh, on Mission Log, since we're doing series order uh, and uh, cast order instead of jumping over to DS9 and Voyager and Enterprise, when this movie went away, Star Trek went away for, for that period. You know, there was no more Trek on TV. You, you had Enterprise wrapping its thing up by 2005. The official magazine closed soon after that. So there was nothing new until 2009 when the J.J. Abrams movies came on board with uh, with their movies. So this really marks the end of that second phase of Star Trek. And it's so crazy to think that there is that little time between those two movies. Because it, it, it felt like forever. It does. Because nobody knew what to expect next. You know, it, it, at least we knew... There was an overlap with Deep Space Nine, the overlap with Voyager, and then there was a, a tiny break before Enterprise started, but then Enterprise was gone before it really took hold. Yeah. yeah. The, other thing, the other thing that's, I mean, one of the other reasons, and I don't want to say whether the movie holds up yet because this is your time to do that, but I got to mm-hmm. figure part of the reason that it feels like such a long time, too, is because uh, many, many, many people did not see Nemesis. Even Star Trek fans, a lot of people didn't see Nemesis, and those of us who did mm-hmm. kind of forgot mm-hmm. fairly yeah. quickly. So, yeah. I mean, it, it's just weird to me, though, when you lay out those dates. It's like, really? It's only seven years, because that's not long. That's like that's like a, uh, that's like like a the run of next gen. 
That's <laughs> yeah, right, right. That long right. a time between the last Picard movie and the first um, uh, Chris Pine movie. Yeah. And I just I wanted to be clear. I, I realize, you know, for people listening who are who are looking at the dates, yeah, I, I realize that Enterprise didn't end until 2005. But but New Trek, the only thing that was New Trek, had started in 2001. That was you know when Enterprise started. So the, this was the end of creating New Trek. Um, until we got to those J.J. Abrams movies. <laughs> until until we went back and started recreating old track. Right? Yeah, it's just, it, it's a weird thing. But the, this was really the end of an era. It, yeah. it really was. So, preface all of that, then to talk about my experience with this movie. I, so, last week I talked about how I saw Insurrection, and I didn't love it. And then I saw it again, and I didn't love it. But then studying it for our show made me really appreciate that movie in a new way. Mm-hmm. So I I had the same opportunity here with Nemesis. And when I saw Nemesis in the theater in 2002, I was whelmed. <laughs> you know, I, I just, you know, I, I felt like at the time the buildup of calling it uh, a generation's final journey and knowing before I went in, that data was going to die. I, I felt like there was something important there, but nothing really important happened. But years later now for this show, I got to rewatch it. And I have to admit that there are things that surprised me. I actually cared more about data sacrifice this time. And, and maybe it's because you and I, every single week for the last three and a half years have been involved with the data Picard, Crusher, Riker, et cetera, story. So, so that character has been on my mind every week for the last three and a half years, as opposed to a big break in between and just waiting to see what happens next. Um, I really didn't care at the time and and it's still no wrath of Khan, but it also isn't generations. Hmm. And speaking of Wrath of Khan, yeah, there's a lot of parallel in this movie to Wrath of Khan, which, okay, fine. I, I don't love it when they repeat stories. Give us another 10 years on our show, and we'll talk about that again when we, get, when we roll around to the J.J. Abrams movies. But um, for some reason, watching it this time, that that was a a moment that sat better with me. But here's the thing, the moment and the aftermath of that felt even better. Like it was sincere. And and even if I didn't love the movie that got us to that point, it, it reminded me that Star Trek and Next Generation in particular is at its most powerful when it's about human moments. So the last 10 minutes of the movie, I really enjoyed because we got to see reaction to something we got to see the crew be a crew again and and have a a familial vibe again um so for that i'll 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 give them a thumbs up the political intrigue stuff is cool but i kind of wish didn't just turn into a bad guy who is a bad guy because he's bad and look i hate b4 i i I have no other way to say it um I, i i don't love the performance it's not Brent's fault. It's just that it, I feel like it's usually a bad idea when you have a great actor with a strong character and then you say, play you only dumber. Mm. That that rarely has any truth to it. Um, 
I felt like the dinner scene was good, and and uh, it's nice to hear Picard's monologue after that about peace and earning trust. Um, by the way, on the DVD, there's uh, uh, rehearsal footage of uh, Patrick Stewart and Tom Hardy doing that, and they're they're wonderful because even if it's shot on bad video and bad lighting, it's just there's a lot of strength there in those two actors. Like at the end of the day, I found things to like. I really did. But as a movie, it does not come together. The focus is all in the wrong places. The pacing is wrong. And look, even if they owed John Logan whatever he was owed to, and the guy's not a bad writer. Clearly, he has written some wonderful stuff. Yeah. But even if he is owed something tremendous in order to get out of that contract and bring in a Nick Meyer or somebody like that, uh, just do that next time. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what about you? It doesn't work, and I want it to. I really, really want it to, but it just doesn't. Mm-hmm. The, cute, the cute parts, and I think that's mostly B4. The cute parts are too cute. The dark parts are too dark. Mm-hmm. Um, this is stuff that we've actually seen before, and I'm fine with that if you're going to explore the same themes. But um, honestly, the thing that I hate most about it is it's really a bad goodbye for these characters in a way that Star Trek VI wasn't. Um, we saw Kirk grow in Star Trek VI. We saw Sulu become captain in Star Trek VI. Yeah. Um, we saw Troy raped in this movie, and we saw Picard get tired. And we saw yeah. Data die. And we saw nothing happen to Geordi. Uh, the whole thing, and, and we saw nothing happen to Worf as well. I mean, it's good that they both got to be there. It's good that they were both in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but really, there's no payoff for either of those characters, at least not here. No, there's nothing for Worf. Yeah. And while the whole thing, you know, ends with the idea that it doesn't end, that didn't really feel great to me. Like, I was thinking about... Like, I would like to have met his first officer. I would like to have seen them leave space dock. I would like to, maybe I would like to have seen five years down the road or something. I was thinking about um, Serenity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Lots of bad stuff happens to the characters in Serenity. But in the end, Mal's got a crew, Mal's powering up a ship, and Mal is taking off. This didn't feel to me, with the exception of the marriage and Riker's command, um, this did not feel to me like, oh, the journey never ends. It felt more like, well, here we go again, right? I mean, when B4 starts like showing signs of data, then it's just another seven years of I don't get humor. I don't understand emotion. I want to yeah, be right, human. Right. It, and, and it just didn't feel to me like, it didn't feel to me like, oh, yes, it continues. It's more like, ah, it's never going to stop. Yeah. And, and that feels like a terrible thing to say because... As I've mentioned before, this is my Star Trek. And for me to get to the last story of Next Gen and be like, "Uh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. That bums me out. Now, I mean, they introduce new stuff. I mean, there's Shinzon, but the thing is, I'm not a fan of the tortured bad guy. It's too Mm. late for me. Uh, Dude, you're a bad guy. You're doing and being (laughs) exactly what you want to be and do. You can be the tortured bad guy and, you know, that's fine. Do that. I mean... I don't know. You've been raised with bad ideas, let's say, like under a tyrannical or authoritarian ruler or something like that. Even then, it only goes so far, right? I'm not saying like for a person in real life, there can't be conflict. But I'm thinking about 
and I hate to keep comparing it to other things, but comparing it to other things is what I found myself wanting to do. Thinking about Darth Vader. He made lots of bad choices a long time ago, you know, including being in the prequels. Hello. Oh, yeah, okay. But um. it's not just the choices that he made and the conditions in which he grew up that made him, you know, that, that got him to that place. He's also got a despotic father figure keeping him in check at all times, right? He is mm-hmm. next to the emperor. The viceroy is not doing that to Shinzon, meaning he is actually free to make his own choices. He's just choosing the easier path or he really grooves on being a bad guy. So, like, you, you can't even do, like, the whole tortured soul thing with him to me because he's the one who's doing it. Yeah, he was raised in a bad circumstance, and I get that. I'm not saying that's the easiest thing in the world to break, but if you're the bad guy in a movie, you got to have more than just, well, no, it's just too late for me because I'm bad. Um, the peace between the Federation and the Romulans is an interesting idea, although even that is an idea that we visited in First Contact, right? Mm-hmm. Ultimate horror. Mm-hmm. It was going to be the Borg, and so we all, you know, got together and warp, and then the 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 Vulcans and the humans realize, oh man, we are so not the only ones. We'd better band together, right? It takes somebody almost destroying Earth for the Romulans and the Federation to be like, oh, okay, on second thought, maybe we should. So even there, we've hit this idea before. Um, I will say there is a tremendous strength in this movie. Uh, if you're going to be bad to the end, Shinzon's last act is pretty chilling. It's amazing. Like yeah. that thing that he does where he pulls himself up the spike just to like really look in Picard's eyes. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, mm-hmm. that's, I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. What's weird is it sounds like I hate this movie. I don't like this movie. There are interesting ideas that are explored. There is good acting in it. Um, yeah, it needed a rewrite, and then that probably needed a rewrite as well. And since I'm only going to get to say it this last time, we really need to stop beating up on Deanna. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. really, I mean, that, that man, like most violated character in science fiction award goes to. Mm-hmm. And I've not read all science fiction, so there may be others who have been treated even worse. But man, man. I think that what you identified with Shenzhen is is what really had me interested and then disappointed to the point that we're, we're presenting this idea of okay, nature versus nurture and, and Picard may be able to break through with them. And I'm not saying that he used to have uh, Darth Vader turns into Anakin Skywalker moment. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think that would have played true either, but I wanted a character who had more to him than just being bad. I, I wanted his bad decisions to actually come out of some conflict as opposed to just, well, everything that else that I told you, it may or may not be true. But regardless, I just want to destroy Earth. Right. I mean, that's the thing. The whole time that he's talking to Picard, he's not considering a different path. The whole time mm-hmm. he's talking to Picard, he's still planning on you know, destroying everything and ruling everything. And that's kind of a drag. It would have been great to see a conflicted character. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would have, I mean, even if he, because he's still going to be bad, that's fine. He still has to be the bad guy that we're going to defeat. I'm not saying, yep. right, he doesn't need a redemption moment, but I need to think that there's at least a shot at redemption for him because otherwise he's just the big bad all the way through. And and something about him that is identifiable enough as as a Picard 
streak, a, a Picard character attribute that makes you think like, uh, okay, well, maybe we can actually understand something of what's motivating him here. But uh, otherwise, it seems very generic. Just, um, well, uh, he's, yeah, he shares the same DNA, but uh, he's been tortured, so he's bad, and he's going to do bad things every chance he gets. Um, it, it's, it, it's a waste of a bad guy and, and, and a waste of a really terrific actor, too. Because he, he has so many good scenes in this. Like you described, that, that last moment of getting close to Picard is chilling. Yeah. And great. Um, but yeah, what, what a waste. <laughs> <laughs> but what about messages, sir? Uh, well, you know, there, there's a few here. Uh, for the Romulans, you know, uh, don't, don't, don't throw in with the madman. I think we've had uh, similar discussions of that before. Like, look, you you have power. You have a working government. You don't need to also throw in with the crazy guy who says he can make it even better. Okay? Just just back off from that. In fairness, though, most of the government didn't. The government actually <laughs> tried not to throw in. They with tried. The yeah. Right. Yeah. One senator, actually, and, uh, and the military yeah. were the ones that threw in with the madman. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, it was, even then, I mean, I get what you're saying, and you're right, but they actually didn't, and 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 for not throwing in with the madman, they died. Yeah, well, but then you you had some the ones who were left over. It took them a little while. They they were a little conflicted, but yeah, when the threat became imminent, then right. they decided, okay, we actually, huh? I wonder what it would be like if we actually had allies <laughs> who could help us. Boy, that's. What a what an original idea here! Yeah, remember when the guy we were following wasn't crazy? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. let's go back to that. Let's yeah. explore that a little bit more. Uh huh. Um, I mentioned before the the line that I liked uh, Picard saying that something something that's never been nurtured the potential to make yourself a better man, and that's what it is to be human to make yourself more than you are. Uh, we have a reflection of that in uh, Data describing himself versus B4. He says, I aspire to be better than I am. B4 does not. Kind of that Data human aspirational thing uh, that makes Data sort of representative of Starfleet, of the people in Starfleet, and therefore the audience who's sort of keyed in on this idea of what Starfleet is about and what Star Trek's vision of the future is about. Um Picard then explains that to B4 at the end, which is driving that home again. About Data, he says he evolved, he embraced change, because he always wanted to be better than he was. And we've talked about that many times, being a, a central theme of Star Trek's message to humanity and message about humanity. So we got to drive those home. It's interesting, though. Can I ask a question? Sure. Do you feel like it loses some of the Star Trek message because it was so eaten up with radiation and gunfights and crashing ships and exploding? A hundred percent. Okay. Uh, it, it, it felt like... Here's a, I, I don't think those messages are any less valuable. I don't think those messages are any less Star Trek. I think they're very Star Trek. But it felt a little bit like we need to stop the movie here to tell you this instead of letting it be a part of the message of the movie. So it, it, it's, it, it's messy, and a better script and a better execution of that script would have made those feel more, more organic and therefore more powerful. Um, but 
yeah, that that's that's what I'm seeing here that is of any value in this. Uh, how about you? Well, I think it's just a big old bundle of nature versus nurture, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, here's what data could have been. Here's what Picard could have been. Um, what's interesting is I was reminded again of one of my favorite episodes of, of Next Gen, Times Squared. Um, there we saw Picard dealing with a version of himself that's governed by fear. And, and you know, to my reading anyway, addiction or just not being able or willing to change the way he thinks. Um, and here we see Picard dealing with a version of himself that's driven by hate. But it's 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 in a weird way. I mean, it's it's the enemy within. It's tapestry. It's Times Squared. It's a number of things that we've seen Picard do before. But as I just asked you, I mean, I think that was sort of the the feeling that I had. It's so it's so keyed up on on explosions and 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 phasers and new kinds of phasers and and weird bad guys who have you know powers that don't make any sense. Um, the the Star Trek in it, uh, sadly, what what I don't want to say what little Star Trek there is because I mean those are big messages that have been Star Trek all the way through, and yet the Star Trek that is there unfortunately gets lost and uh, gets lost in the action. It's funny. I, I so I struck out one of my notes that said that the message here is nurture, not nature. Mm-hmm. And, and, and actually, and I think it, the movie comes down pretty hard on that side. And I'm okay with that. I'm totally okay. The movie just basically says, yeah, it's nurture. Um, we, we don't need to worry about nature here because regardless of the nature, regardless of Jean-Luc Picard and Shinzon have the same DNA, that really doesn't matter. Let, let's just go with nurture. That, and even if you look at B4, we are to presume that given enough time, B4 will essentially be like data. Even if there's a little bit of their mechanics that are different, even if there's a little bit of their programming that's different, once you once you dump the experience of data into B4, B4 is going to be a pretty close approximation of data. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's nurture. Yeah, it's, don't, don't worry about the nature part. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Um, you know these podcasts that you've been listening to? Heck, we got a whole ton more of them. Uh, Women at War, Priority One, The Track Files, and who knows what else is coming down the line. You can find out at podcast.roddenberry.com. If you'd like to help support this show, that would be fantastic. Patreon.com slash mission log is the place to find out more. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That is Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week, it's our next-gen supplemental number one. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at K.I. Theory.com. You all go on ahead. I am going to sneak into another movie. It will be a while before we are back this way. And transmission.
podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.